0: If you have your bible uh, open up to to judges Chapter Seven. If you uh don't have a Bible, you might be able to find one in a seat near you or underneath a seat near you, or you can grab out your phone and google judges seven uh in our our screen display there are very few scriptures up there today, because we're, we're really just reading, except for two, from uh, Judges 7. So if you, if, you're not, if you don't have a Bible, some Bible in front of you, uh, you might feel a little more lost. And uh, hey, listen, if you don't have a Bible, if you're first time here, and I don't have a Bible, I don't, don't know how to get on my phone, that is great, no problem. But um, come see me after the worship service, I'll get you a Bible. But if you are able to get to, to Judges 7, please do that. And uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that challenges us and encourages us, and we pray that it would be a living word for us today that it would help our hearts to love you more deeply, and for us to put an increasing amount of faith and belief and confidence. In you today. In Jesus' name, amen. If uh, you are here for the first time, we're going through the Bible in a year, and we're at the the, the book of Judges. This book describes about a 400-year period of time that happens right after Joshua and the Israelites enter into the promised land. And as they enter the promised land, God, um, God, God told them, you need to um, to remove the other inhabitants of this land that I am giving to you. And if you don't do that, you will ultimately start following their ways and worshiping their gods, and it won't, it won't be good. And as the Israelites go into the promised land, that's exactly what happens. They fail to remove all of the inhabitants uh, that we um, generally referred to as the Canaanites. They don't remove all the Canaanites out of the land, and the Israelites do exactly what God said they would do. They start adopting the culture and the practices and the worship habits of the Canaanites and start worshiping um, their gods. And bad things happen um, because of it. And so Judges describes this period of great struggle for the Israelites. But we're actually going to spend two weeks on this period of struggle because... Uh, it also this book also reveals the enormous power and patience of God working through a very imperfect people. And that's actually a huge theme in the Bible, the, the patience and the power of God working through an imperfect people. The apostle Paul, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, verse nine, writes this: "God said to me." My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in, not your strength, in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. That's an odd thought. So that Christ's power may rest on me. We are accustomed to focusing on our strengths and hoping to grow our strengths. Students, you're going to school this week. Right, or soon when you go back to school, you know maybe meeting new friends, um, maybe trying out for a sports team, and you go up to the new coach and, and you don't say, "Hey, coach, look at how weak I am." Right? You're like, um, interviewing for a job. You don't you don't say, "Hey, I'm bringing nothing to this this job." Uh, we're, we're accustomed to focusing on our strengths and try to enhance our strengths. And the Apostle Paul is like, no, 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 I boasted my weaknesses because through my weaknesses, I see God at work. So we're going to look at today a man named Gideon. Um, who could say that very same thing? Who could, who could say, boy, I am weak, but through my weakness, I see God at work. So here's a lesson um, that I'm going to give you two Two points as we get into Gideon, uh, Judges chapter 7. The first point is is this. God chooses you even when you wouldn't choose you. We see that in Gideon. Um, at this time leading into Judges chapter 7, the Israelites are there terrorized by this this large band of people known as the Midianites, and they were a mass of people. Chapter 6 of Judges, uh, c- compare the the... Um, the, the, the Midianites like locusts. They're just everywhere. They're swarming the land. Um, the, the livestock and tents, they, they, you can't even count them all of, of the Midianites. Uh, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Help, help Lord. We're, we're, we're helpless with these Midianites around us. And God called a man named Gideon to be a military leader for the Israelites, but he was... Just the most unlikely candidate for for that job. So by the time we get to Gideon in, in Judges seven, Gideon already reveals to God, 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 you're, you're asking me to do this, but I'm I'm from the weakest clan in, in Israel, and, and of, of my my clan, my family, I'm, I'm the weakest individual in it. By the time we get to Judges chapter seven, Gideon is hiding from the Midianites. Um, uh, uh, around them, not, not something that we would expect of a, of a military leader. By the time we get to, to, to Judges chapter 7, uh, Gideon has already asked God for three tests, three confirmations that, God, is this really you talking to me? Because I don't, I don't believe this is you talking to me because uh, I'm not the man for the job. Three times we can count Gideon testing or asking God for these signs that God really is. Speaking to Gideon, Gideon wouldn't choose himself for this job. God did. And there are many, many times when God has something for us to do, and we may not feel adequate at all or prepared at all or or gifted enough to do what God is asking us to do. And and we'll say, God, I'm not going to do that. Send someone else to do that. And God says, no, I'm choosing you. I don't want someone else to do it. I don't want you to do it. And God does not choose you based on your abilities. God does not choose you based on anything that is inside of you. He's not choosing you based on your charisma. God is not choosing you because of all the candidates you're the most likely to succeed. God chooses you because of some weakness in you, and he... He wants to give you this opportunity to put your faith in God. And as we will see, the Lord makes sure to put Gideon in a situation where he cannot manage nor mistake the outcome. Ultimately, Gideon is at a point where he can say, okay, God, this is all you. This is all you. So key point to the story that we will look at throughout this this message is this. We manage our faithfulness. God manages the outcome. God says, leave the outcome to me. I just want you to be faithful. That's what you are in control of, your faithfulness. God says, you're not in control of the outcome. I am. In Judges chapter 7, God puts Gideon in a position where the only thing Gideon can do is just, okay, God, I'm, I'm putting my faith in you. So Gideon begins collecting this army to go up against the Midianites. He sends out the call for soldiers. 32,000 soldiers uh, respond to the call. That's that's a number not to sneeze at. 32,000. The only problem, well, there may be several problems, but one of the problems is that the number of Midianite soldiers, if you look ahead to, to Judges chapter 8, uh, Judges chapter 8 identifies, that there, there says that there's 120,000 swordsmen for the Midianites. So 32,000 Israelites, 120,000 Midianite soldiers. That's a one-to-four ratio, Israelites to Midianites. And, and God looks at Gideon's army, 32,000. And he says, you know, Gideon, your army is too big. It's too big. And then he gives the rationale. So look at at verse 2 in Judges uh, chapter 7. Verse 2, God explains why Gideon's army is too big. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me, saying my own strength has saved me. God knows what the Israelite soldiers would do if they were to beat the one in four odds. They would say, hey, we did a great job. We did it. We did it. Now, I just want you to consider that that danger exists for us today. However much we have, if we're quantifying, if we're we're measuring dollars, if we're measuring skills, if we're measuring people on the team, the the, the danger exists for us to, to do the same thing and say, we did it, and leave God out of the equation. So, God starts whittling down uh, the, the army. God says, anyone who is frightened or lacks the courage to fight can simply walk home. Just, just go home. No worries, no shame. You can just quietly slip away. And 22,000 men say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in the mood for fighting right now. And 10,000. Israelite soldiers remain. A Gideon is 10,000 men. The ratio of Israelite to Midianite soldiers has dropped from 1 in 4 to 1 in 12. 10,000 to 120,000. 1 in 12. That isn't looking good at all. God says, Gideon, about your army. Yeah, I know, God. It's not looking too good. I don't know how we're going to pull this one off. And God says, yeah, about your army. It's still too big. Too big! We had 32,000, now we're down to 10,000. God, you're talking about a two-thirds decrease, another hit like that. And I'll be down to to what, about about 3,000 soldiers? And if you know the rest of the story, you know that at this point, God has to be smiling or laughing or something like that, because he's got a surprise in store for Gideon. So let's look at at verse 4. We'll read verses 4 through 7. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. So take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues, as a dog laps from those. As a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. It's kind of an interesting little mental picture of what that might have looked like. Uh, and so, three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs, and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon with the three hundred men. That lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So God leaves Gideon, not 3,000 men, but 300 men. And what a strange scene that, that would have been. You know, Gideon says to, to the, to the 10,000 boys, let's go down to the stream and get a drink. Well, it's, it's pretty hot. Uh, it's it's been, been a sunny day. That sounds pretty good. Gideon, so they go down the stream and they start drinking. And, and some. Some men maybe cup their hands and get water out and drink from their hands. And some men just get on their knees and stick their head in the water and drink like that. And Gideon and maybe some of his helpers were walking around and saying, okay, you can go home, and you can go home, and you can go home. And, and, and all of a sudden, I mean, people start seeing almost everyone go home. And there's just, there's just 300 Of them in the end. And the odds are overwhelmingly now stacked against them. And let me suggest that there likely is something going on in your life, a parallel of some kind, where you think, gosh, the odds are stacked against me. The odds are not in my favor. God always views our situation differently than we do. We may think, How am I ever going to do anything with this little? And yet God is reversing that. And He's saying, Oh, I'm gonna take that little and I'm gonna do this great thing. Now you can't count on everything happening exactly how you would want them to happen or expect them to happen. But God has this bigger view in mind and he says, I mean, he says, I really do believe he says this, don't worry, everything's going to be okay because I'm in control and the battle is mine, the outcome is mine, the victory is mine, God says. Now the story gets a little stranger. Verse 8. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home. What is that? 9,700 men home. Kept the 300. Who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. That's interesting. Not the swords of the others, but the trumpets of the others. Now, the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. Now, check this out in verse 10. If you are afraid to attack, <laughs> if, if you are afraid to yeah, I'm afraid to attack, God. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah, And listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream he was saying, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, our camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. That's just a... The Bible has some funny stories, you know, kind of some strange funny stories. And that's, that's one of them right there. It's Gideon and his servant. They sneak down to the Midianite camp. Now, there's 120,000 of them. You know, they could just kind of walk among all of those people, and no one would know the difference, right? So they go into the camp. And it just so happens that they're walking by, and they overhear these two Midianites talking And and what tells this crazy dream that doesn't seem to make any sense this 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 loaf of bread barley bread rolls into the camp hits a tent and doesn't like shake the tent it, the whole tent falls over I mean, <laughs> What does that mean? I mean should we cancel the camping trip? <laughs> you know. Should we watch out for the bread breaker when he comes into camp? I mean what does that mean? And so he tells his friend the dream, and I mean, what do we expect a friend to say? That's weird. I, I have no idea what that means. But that's not what he says. He says, that could be, okay, listen, this, is, this guy that he's talking to, he is, he's just one of 120,000 garden variety Midianites who doesn't know Joe Israelite from Mo Israelite. And, he's, and he, he hears the dream and he says, you know what, that, that's none other than the sword of Gideon. He doesn't know Gideon. I mean, what? And his friend, the guy who had a dream, certainly doesn't know Gideon. He's like, yeah, that's Gideon. Wait, wait, who the heck is Gideon, you know? Just a strange story. But Gideon knows exactly what they're talking about because the Lord told him to go down there and he would hear some encouraging news. Now, you know, when I think about this story, I think that's, that's a neat story. And I think, boy, it sure would be nice to be Gideon and to to have a sign like that. Because I'm, I mean, I'm facing some monsters. i got a scary monster in front of me. And I sure c- could use a dream like that. Have you ever kind of thought that? I need a dream like that. You know, imagine Fred, and he's walking down the long hallway to the boardroom. He's going to go in that boardroom, and the continuation of his job depends on him giving a great presentation, and his stomach is just full of nuts, and he's walking down this hallway, and there's two other employees. He doesn't know who they are. They're at the water cooler in this hallway, and they're talking with one another as Fred walks by, and one of them says, man, I had the strangest dream last night. I was working on my laptop, and then all of a sudden, this Amazing PowerPoint presentation just opens up on my laptop. It was the most beautiful, inspiring PowerPoint I had ever seen and all of a sudden these fireworks started exploding out of my laptop. What do you think of that? And then the other gal says, "That's none other than Fred about to go in there and slam-dunk his presentation." Woo, thank you Lord for that sign. Give us a sign like that, God. But here's the deal, here's the deal. This Gideon story is in the scriptures so that we would know who God is, that he is in control of all of the moments of our life. He is with us and that he is working all things for our good. So Gideon's sign is for us as well. That's your that's your sign. And that doesn't mean that everything will happen the way that we want them to happen. Doesn't mean, life's going to be full of bigger jobs and bigger houses and bigger bank accounts and vacations, and that family life will just be like this smooth sailing ship, and that things happen for our kids the way we would script them. But it does mean that God is in control. And it means that when we follow God, when we really follow God, we... We'll be where God wants us to be, and we will be doing what God wants us to be doing. And God says, you know what? Everything is going to be okay because I'm in control. And so I want to point out just a few things that we learned from this story as we finished looking at At some of the details. The first one is this, God invites us to trust him wholeheartedly. And I want to tell two things that I think this means, trusting God wholeheartedly. Uh, There could be many things, but here's at least two from the story. Uh, First, it means trusting God wholeheartedly means that we make serving God and following God and doing God's will our first aim in life, our first aim—that's wholeheartedly trusting the Lord. So think about God whittling down the soldiers. It happens in two stages. The second one, I—the second whittling down to, to the three hundred men. I think that's an arbitrary separation. Some people look at God separating the soldiers who drink from their cupped hands from the men that got down on their knees, it's kind of like this, oh, God is just separating the elite soldiers because the ones that, you know, cup their hands, they're, they know there's dangers around and I better stay on alert and I know no time for getting on my knees. And and God was just getting the really alert, good soldiers, weeding out all the, the, the bad ones. But That kind of misses the point of the story, right? I mean, the point of the story is God says the victory is mine. I can get a, a bunch of, you know, kitty cats and doing the same thing as as y'all. Um, I I I don't think this was some aptitude get, test of God. I think God it's kind of an arbitrary sorting out. Um, God was not choosing. Soldiers based on their skill and size. And that is a story we see over and over in the Bible. I and mean, that's David's story, right? That's the, that's the teenager David going up against the nine feet tall gladiator Goliath. That's, that's Moses' story who doesn't like to talk in front of big crowds or... Influential audiences, powerful audiences, and that's exactly what Moses winds up doing: speaking in front of a million Israelites and going to to the most important, the most powerful man on the planet at that time, Pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, that's Moses' story, right? Just the most unlikely person that God uses. That, that's the story of the, the the people that Jesus picks to be his twelve disciples. I mean, they're the the, the first disciples; they were. I mean, they were just from these no-name villages, and they were working hard labor jobs. And, and, and by their own cultural practices, they were the ones that kind of weren't smart enough or good enough to continue on in their Jewish education. And they're just kind of working day jobs. And Jesus says, yeah, I want you to, I want you to follow me. And Jesus put his spirit in them, and they changed the world. And that's the Bible story. God, God just choosing... Unlikely people, and changing the world. So I think the second separation was pretty arbitrary, but the first one wasn't. The first one was, if you're frightened, if you don't want to fight, you can go home. And I don't think the story bashes those individuals. In fact, by worldly standards, those were the smart ones that went home that day but they were also the ones that missed out on something amazing. That happens, which we'll find out about in a moment. So there were some people who said, God, I'm with you. Gideon, we're with you because we think God is calling you and calling us, and we don't want to miss out on that. And I don't think they were assuming that they would be all safe in this battle, but they knew it would be much, much better and a much more important decision To go with God and go with Gideon than to play it safe and go home. So the the first way to believe in God wholeheartedly is this. Be ready to say yes. Just be ready to say, yes, God. I don't know what you're going to call me to, but yes. The answer is yes. Choose me. Here I am. Send me. Now you know me. I might not be much, but I know you. And you're the God who works through not much and makes Way much. And I want to say yes to that. So, I mean, just think about that. What, what does that mean? It means, I mean, every day you're like, God, use me. Uh, you know, you're, you're, it's family day at home. God, use me. You're, you're going to the office. God, use me for whatever. You're going to school. God, use me for whatever you want me to do. I will say what you want me to say. I will, I will act towards others the way that you want me to act towards others. Not that every, the way that everyone else is acting, but I will, I will follow you. That means, I mean, here we are in this room together, not as individuals. We're, I mean, this is, this is like the 100, right? This is... Or not quite the 300. Um, but people who've said, yes... God, we know that you're among us and you're calling us to something. It's, you're going you're to be bringing your salvation to the world through through us. We say yes to that. So it, you know, it really is, it's, it's, not, it's not God, yeah, I'm going to say yes to you after I get all this other stuff done. It's like first I'm saying yes to you. I'm ready to, to put your will first in my life. The second thing I think the story says about wholeheartedly trusting the Lord, it means believe in God's victory for you. After Gideon sneaks up to the Israelites and hears the two of them talking, look at at verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation... He bowed down, and he worshipped. Gideon worshipped God. It's interesting. There were plenty other opportunities for Gideon to be worshipping God. But it appears here in the story. This is the important detail of the story. All right, so you read Judges 6, and God appears as the angel of the Lord in front of Gideon. Well, that could be a worshipful moment. And then Gideon has these three tests. Two of them are like the, the famous fleece test. You know, let the fleece be wet and the, drown, the ground around be dry to prove that it's you, God. And let the, the fleece be dry and all the ground around you be wet to prove that it's you, God. He had all those moments to bow down and worship God. But he, he doesn't there. He doesn't here. So why? Why here? I think it is here that God drove into Gideon's heart. Gideon. The victory is mine, and I'm giving it to you. Everything is going to be okay. And we have to believe that the victory is God's, and he's going to give it to us. You know the battle you're facing? Apply that how you need to apply it. Fighting against sin and addiction, pornography, drug use, bad temper, you're yelling at everyone around you, grumpy in the morning, and that lasts all day long. Uh, being overcome with fear. Being lukewarm towards God. And we can come to the Lord with that and say, God, I, I... I'm just lukewarm. And I, I don't know what to do about that, but you can help me Will you help me. I want to love you wholeheartedly. God's going to give you victory. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So believe in the goodness of God that will work through your weakness so that God will get the glory as he brings the victory to you. All right. Second point. The best action is the action done in faith. So we're going to finish this story up through verse 22. And it, this is like the strangest part of the story, I think. So after the strange dream and its interpretation, uh, Gideon, he's got his 300 men. And they're the 300 men that God said, okay, I'm going to use you, I'm going to use you, I'm going to use you. Just because. And the only detail that makes any military sh- sense is Gideon takes the 300 men and he divides them up into 100. That's where I got the 100 from, the 100 here. He just divides them up into to three groups of 100. So I don't know what they're going to do, flank the enemy or circle around the enemy. I don't know what they're going to do, three groups of 100. But it kind of makes military sense to do something like that. And then everything else is just really strange. So look at verse 19. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. And they blew their trumpets and they broke the jars that were in their hands. And the three communities blew the trumpets, smashed the jars grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in the right hand the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, in other words, they're not going into the camp. They're not, they're not fighting with the Midianites. As they held their position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled and when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their own swords. Thus <laughs> ends the battle of Israel. I mean, actually, it kind of goes on a little bit more, and there's some mopping up that happens. Um, but that's it, that's the battle. And you can just imagine these 300 men looking at Gideon and him saying, All right, men, here's what we're going to do. Oh, you brought a sword? Don't worry about that. Leave that there. Here's a trumpet. Here's a jar. This is a two-stage battle. We're going to go down there. Step one, we're going to blow the trumpet. Step two, we're going to smash the jars. Don't get cut. Oh, oh, and third step, and everyone's like, oh, finally, we're going to get them. No, you're, you're going to hold on to your torch. You know, it just doesn't make any sense, Right. <laughs> The battle plans are just funny. But remember the point of the story. It's not about what we can do. It's about what God can do. It's not It's just us managing our faithfulness and God manages the outcome. It's about God revealing his glory. And, and, and another interesting thing. So let's get back to this just do something in faith. There's no indication that God tells Gideon, here's what you need to do. That's what God did with the Israelites when they marched around Jericho. God said, here's what you do. Walk around the city seven times, once each day, seventh day, walk around seven times. Not a big shout. Walls come down. It doesn't seem that God tells Gideon any of this. It, Gideon's just making it up. He's like, I don't know, God, you chose me. I'm not a military leader. We got trumpets, we got jars, we got torches. This is what we're gonna do. And God says, Okay. I, don't, I think Gideon could have chosen lots of different things to engage in this battle. The important thing is he was doing it in faith. He was believing in God. And, and the, you know, the 300 men knew, okay, either God's going to show up or we're going to get killed really fast. We are so out of control of this. (laughs) So either way, it doesn't really matter what we do with these trumpets and jars and torches. This victory has to be the Lord's. It has to be the Lord's. So sometimes following the Lord just means doing something in faith. Hebrews 11, chapter 6, and says, Without faith... It is impossible to please God. With faith, therefore, with faith, what does Jesus say? With faith, the size of a mustard seed, that mountain will move from there and go to there. With faith, that's what happens. With faith, trumpets, jars, torches, 300 men against 120,000 soldiers with swords becomes God's victory that he gives to the Israelites. So sometimes you just got to do something. Um, And I I think sometimes we're like, God, you know, someone's asking me to do something. I don't know what to do. Just do something in faith. God says, I'll take that. I'll take that. And I'll do something with that. You might not know what to say to someone about Jesus. You might not know what to do with these kids that have been entrusted to you, the, the, the youth program. or you, You're going into your office, and I don't know how to do this. God says, oh, just trust me. Do something in faith, and I'll do something with it. I'll, I'll take that little, and I'll make much of it. All right, third point. We're almost done, and we've talked about this. Throughout the sermon, third point is this. God relentlessly, relentlessly moves us to trust in what he can do. I mean, if you only hear one thing this morning, I mean, you hear lots of things, but if you only were to leave with one thing, it's this, trust in what God does. Just trust God. In a world that says, look for things within you that you can trust, No, I'm trusting in God. I'm trusting that God's in control and that everything's okay. God says everything's okay. The world says, look for something inside you that you can prop yourself up with. No, God says to boast in weaknesses because I can't prop myself up. You know who can prop you up? Jesus can prop you up. And he does it by dying on the cross. One, forgiving your sins so that you can then be connected in this loving relationship with God the Father. And two, Jesus on the cross is a sign, oh, that's how much God loves me. That's how much God loves me. If it were just me, Jesus would have gone on that cross and died for me. That's that's how Jesus props us up. Look to Christ who died on the cross to forgive your sins and to make you right with God and trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this, this story of Gideon. You know, he's not the role model. He's just someone that Followed you. I guess that's the role model. Follow you. Put your faith in in, in you, the living God, and and, um, help us to do that, Lord. Help us this week, today, tomorrow, students going back to school on that day. Help them to begin the day. Help us all begin our day saying, Lord, we trust in you, and we are willing to go and do and say whatever you want us to go and do and say.